Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. A bit rusty coming out the gate there. I just, we haven't done this for a while. Anyway, my name's Aaron Kemp. As always, I'm joined by Will, Will Murden, see real average, some real bumps early in the road. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to all the strippers out there as well. I hope you guys got what you want. New G-string, uh, like some heels, I don't know, whatever. Is that what you get? I don't no, know. That, no one wants work stuff for uh, Christmas, but no, absolutely. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. It has been a little while between drinks for us. We've been a bit fat and lazy uh, on our own end here. So No, we've been working really hard at other jobs. We've been putting multiple things together for the show. Um, we have been helping at a children's charity for like one-legged children. Um, and doing a whole bunch of other really wholesome stuff, which is why we haven't been able to, uh, you know, come here and, and be able to give the listeners what they want. But, you know, we've been making the world a better place. You have been helping uh, children, in fact, actually. And I would be keen to hear this. Uh, there's a story oh, that Jesus. you mentioned. Oh, Jesus. And oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'll, I'll spring it on you. Because, but uh, <laughs> you're, you recently went away for National Volleyball Championships, as you do each yes. year. Yes. Uh, re- yes. Representing our old school uh, as, as a coach. And uh, you said at one point, we were texting across the week, as we do, uh, you said that you got into a physical altercation at a at a volleyball match with one of the teams. You said that either a fight almost broke out, or that uh, there was potential for a fight. And I want to hear about this. So, whoa! I, I, I mean, I, I didn't really sleep much. I can't even remember this. So, so I think it's Mazanod. Uh, oh from, yeah, from memory, okay. and I'm oh, really God. keen. Now we're, just, because... now we're naming we're naming names on <laughs> we're naming names here, and this is not good. No one is going to know. I, I'm fairly confident we have zero listeners from uh, that area of, uh, I don't even know where they are, Victoria? Victoria. Yeah. School? <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I'm keen to hear that because there's a lot of like sports fights that you can kind of really get behind. I love baseball fights. They're my favorite where they just... Yeah. Because they clear the decks, everyone runs in. They they kind of you. It'll normally kick off with the pitcher and the batter going at each other, and then it's just like mass. Um, well, footy fights and, are and, awful. Like gridiron be, fights, yeah, pointless. Yeah. <laughs> you break Miles Garrett disagrees, but anyway. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> um, I think volleyball. Not that I'm comparing volleyball and baseball, but the sports where you don't have any physical contact with your opponent tend to be the ones that escalate really quickly and and when they flare up they flare up good and proper hence baseball um don't see cricket so much but um certainly volleyball's got that capacity and it's always sort of smoldering i know it sounds really weird because it's not a uh the sort of sport where that kind of stuff happens and um it's kind of like soccer when someone actually squares up in soccer and is ready to go and the other team's like they're all good lipping off to each other, but if someone looks like they're actually ready to start swinging, they all just shit their little pants and just kind well, of absolutely. run away. Like imagine, and, I imagine in soccer, you just go out like shoving a, a, a through a few little open like, palms. Exactly right, just a few stiff arms out there, and you'd have like a dozen blokes on the ground writhing in pain, and you'd feel like an absolute boss. Yeah, I might win a fight in that yeah. sport actually, because I cannot fight. Um, and but volleyball has the same sort of tendency in that it's it's all very intense. There's some stuff going on under the net, and it's all rah rah. But if someone actually encroaches 
onto the other opponent, onto the opponent's side of the court, I feel like they would all go to water really quickly. Unless you've got that one dude on your team who can just throw down. Um, but yeah, no, this was a, a, an intense situation that was handled very well by by the both adults. sides. By the uh, adults not. in the room? No. <laughs> it was, yeah, I mean, the kids did a great job. So, um, <laughs> yeah, overall, uh, volleyball was the real winner and we all learnt something. So that is good. Fantastic. Okay. I'm steering well clear yeah, of Yeah, that's, that's a sanitised version and I'm very disappointed, but I'll, I'll catch that later and well, then I'll tweet mate, it out you, to all of our fans. you names here. I'm not going yeah, well, to... Maybe we'll yeah. talk off air. Sounds fair. Sounds fair. Uh, okay, so we are going to be talking about, in this particular es- episode, less about fights in sports where fights should not be occurring. Um, and more about college football bowl season because we are about halfway through probably at this stage um, of the bowl of the bowl season, so we've got a, a lot to get to here, and, and you know, weaved into that has been early signing day, transfer portal. There's been news galore around coaching moves, uh, and then Will's going to, you know, of course, touch on on. He's done so much work in the preview space, looking at our New Year's Six bowl. So I'm really looking forward to that. I am like a conscientious objector. So I am like the dude from Hacksaw Ridge. Don't know if you've seen the movie. Fantastic film. Refuses to pick up a weapon. That is pretty much me in bowl season. I'll refuse to pick up a weapon. Um, I'll refuse to to watch too many games. I'll refuse to pick up the remote. So um, I've still got some takes because, hey, what is um, a a malinformed opinion? It is perfect for the podcast space. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, we've got coaching news. Um, we've got, on the pun, I mentioned all this, we've got early signing day. So we've got so much stuff to get to. So And we've started late here. So let's get on the move. Before I do that, Vault Studio Podcasts or Productions. But more the podcast space. <laughs> they are looking after us. Crushing it early. Yes. I am, you know what? I feel like at this stage, I'm like a uh, a street directory in the car, like the paper versions. Rarely used, rarely used, but then when you get it out, you're like, I'm pretty sure this is how you do it. I'm pretty sure this is how you read it. And you almost get to your destination just a couple of streets over. I'm pretty sure that if we had our producer JA on at the moment, he would have pulled us by now. Like he would have been like, "We're we're starting again, boys. This is garbage. You need better. It's you not. can't be naming schools where kids are. You can't be spilling out this shit and just bouncing all over the shop." So we'll uh, we'll tidy it up for you, JA. We, we apologise, but we're not cutting it because that, that yeah, after we'll edit we'll stuff at the we're moment. We're in our off season too. The, the, the after edit stuff is on me and I'm not willing to, to cut that. So this all goes in, but from here on, we're going to be schmick. Okay. <laughs> are we? All right, Burnley Brewing. They are a sponsor of the show and Vault Studios as well. However, still got a problem with you, JA. You're not doing your producing work and you're not giving us booze. Um, and this would be the perfect kind of time of the year, maybe like a Christmas miracle. You could get us some some alcohol before new year's comes um and then will will get it to me sometime by june so that would be awesome if that could happen but you need to sort your own shit out mate he does he does we are thirsty gentlemen uh we had to, I had to go buy some burnley the other day i assume you can Ooh. buy it in adelaide 
I, I bought it though. Uh, fantastic <laughs> stuff. Five stars. Um, wow. Uh, you said we're going to stay tight. We are not staying tight here. Uh, we are on Instagram uh, and Twitter at CFB Down Under. Make sure you hit us up there. Uh, and lastly, as part of our kind of little intro spiel here, I hate bowl season. <clears throat> That's all. All right, let's get to some news straight out the gate. So we've got a lot to get to. Um, let's start with coaching space. So the big one probably for me is um, our boy Primetime um, has taken his coaching talents from HBCU Jackson State and has headed to or picked up by Colorado. Um, so the Buffs in the Pac-12. Uh, of course, he played um, for Dallas, played in Atlanta, and then went to school at Florida State. So he probably spent not a whole heap of time over on the West Coast. Um, but now going to, not that Colorado's on the coast necessarily, but uh, coaching <laughs> over there. And uh, Travis Hunter, the five-star recruit that was an absolute coup when he got him last year, has entered the transfer portal and is going along with him. Your thoughts on um, Deion Sanders heading to So we were mentioning Colorado. this off-air just before we got on. I think it's fantastic. If I'm a Colorado fan, I am thrilled with this hire because it injects some life. Now, do I think he can step in and be an immediate factor in the, the Pac-12 and be a great coach? No, I, I don't think that's... But you are breathing some life into the program that desperately needs it. They have struggled big time over the last few years. They've cycled through a few coaches. Mel Tucker looked like he was going to be okay and doing some things, and then he jetted off for Michigan State. And there's a risk that you have that again here, but this hire is the most exciting of all the hires, I think, in terms of name brand and uh, camera time that they're going to get around this program. And I think that helps because you need to start to turn something around on the recruiting front to be able to turn things around. It's a really important time with all this conference realignment stuff happening at the moment. Colorado could quickly find themselves on the outside looking in if we drop to four conferences or something happens there. If you've got a big name like this, you can start to generate some interest in the program nationally. It's only a good thing for me. So I think it's they've, they've knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I, I don't hate it. I mean, most coaches get fired anyway. So what's the risk in taking someone like this? I don't think there really is is too much. Again, you get the name brand. Um, recruiting has already... T we've seen recruiting already take off um, for the buffs. So that's been... Good on that front. I don't. I think he's there for a while because he's got a lot to prove. He's not going to come in here and with his current acumen put in three years of amazing work and then get a promotion. I think he's got to prove himself and he's got to establish a culture and all that kind of stuff. And he's starting almost from the bottom. Um, and we'll see if he is capable of doing that. He'll certainly be able to generate... Um, funding, I think that all of a sudden picks up as well. And, and then there's pressure on administration. And, and next thing you know, there's more facilities being built and recruiting becomes easier again. And, and you know, that, that talent differential, they can close that gap a bit and all of a sudden you see results. So, yeah, I certainly don't hate it. Um, it'll be interesting to watch him and, and see how he goes moving into next year. And I'll definitely catch the buffs early in the year. Other coaching moves, Will, you're tracking all these, particularly across the Big Ten. 
Um, there's been some big moves, obviously, with particularly Nebraska and Wisconsin parting ways with their coaches um, before the end of this season. Yes, we've seen Luke Fickle make the jump across from Cincinnati to uh, Wisconsin. And then he's also had the strange situation where he coached in their bowl game that was played today when we are recording against Oklahoma State. I thought that was fucking weird. I don't know why yeah, you don't normally, start post. Normally not done, yeah. Often they'll be at the game but not coaching. They just kind of watch as an interim sort of just gets their ass handed to them and they sort of meet the players and say hi and yeah. stuff. They're certainly not expected to coach the game. And, and it was it was on the sideline in some sort of coaching capacity, so I thought that was a bit weird. I mean, it's a good hire. He, he's done quite well at that Cincinnati program, so I think they've done well. And Cincinnati certainly take a big hit in losing him as they move across into the Big 12. The other big one there, uh, Matt Rule in at Nebraska. So obviously did some really good work at Temple and then rolled that into Baylor where he was very successful at the college level before making the jump into the pros not so good there with Carolina a couple of rough years has then seen him get turfed and he's on like a 50 million dollar buyout and I don't know how that buyout works now he takes on another job because I, I think you kind of stop getting paid mm-hmm. when, when that comes in but good for him I, I like this is like I see Nebraska as a in a position that needs a guy like him. He's a program builder. He's someone that can come in, change the culture, and over time build something up. And that's very much what they need. I know Nebraska fans live on this fantasy island where they think you know Nick Saban should come across and they'll immediately be competing. This is not where they're at. They're not yeah. a good football program anymore. They need someone like this to come in and do that. So I think that's a great one. Uh, and then the last one for me was a bit uh, left field out at Stanford. So obviously has its uh, own difficulties in being able to recruit to Stanford with the, the difficult academic requirements to get in there. But they've gone Troy Taylor out of Sacramento State. So that's a FCS program who have been quite successful over the last few years. So he, he brings in a good track record of success, but obviously promoting out of the FCS and directly into a Power 5 program is an interesting one. And uh, I look forward to seeing how that plays out. Again, most coaches get fired, so um, whatever. Shoot your shot, I guess. <laughs> if you think he's the dude, then then go for it. And um, A lot of these guys you see, oh, I can't think of the coach off the top of my head, but um, you know, if you're success- a lot of these guys, if they're successful at D3, they're then successful at D2, they're then successful at FCS, and then it's not a sh- great surprise when they're successful at um, you know, group of five and then power five. So I think that the Matt Rule one is interesting. I don't think Nebraska is an easy place to coach at anymore. I think it's tough to recruit to Nebraska at the moment. No one really in this generation is going to remember Nebraska being particularly relevant. Um, and I just think that something has gone awry. I'm not all over the administrative side, but that obviously has a huge impact on the success of a particular program. Uh, but there is new, like there is a few whispers that that hasn't exactly been squared away, and that's been part of the problem as well. So hopefully they can get that sorted and give Matt Rule the license and, and trust him to be able to, you know, execute his plan, because it is going to be another five, six year journey for them, I would think. Yes. Yes. Before we move into um, transfers and. Um, scores from other games and stuff like that. We do need to mention Mike Leach. Now, if you follow college football on any level, you would 100% know that he uh, passed away 
um, very quickly. Um, and yeah, I, I'm obviously not going to go into some sort of soliloquy around how impressive uh, a person and a coach and um, you know how he was as a personality, but a, a incredibly hilarious guy did things his own way in a time where media you know coverage has all become very milk toast and uh you know very watered down and and making sure that all your answers tick all the boxes he didn't do things that way he he said things the way he believed them he he shot from the hip um that's the way he coached as well and and his fingerprints are all over college football at the moment uh you have a look at um the <clears throat> excuse me you have a look at uh, the the semi the semi final teams and you look well Sonny Dykes is a is an air raid protege um, of Leach directly so you've got him Michigan guarantee Michigan run the mesh concept they have done for a long time they did it under Josh Gaddis last year um, mesh concept was an air raid staple so that is a Mike Leach thing Ohio State obviously you've got spread concepts and UGA as well and and if ever you see stick concept if ever you see mesh um, particularly those two which every single team in college football now carries well you can thank Mike Leach for that um, a guy who wanted to coach full-time down in the Keys in Florida he was a rugby player at college and never actually played the game um, but just an awesome personality and his teams are always a lot of fun despite their inability to run the ball um so yeah rest in peace big dog yes absolutely devastating news to to hear that he was one of the top characters in all of college football if you ever there was a press conference that you wanted to catch it was one of his <laughs> because they're, they're fantastic viewing and it, and it wasn't they still they still are you can just google them they're good value <laughs> and the best bit about it is it's not staged it's not yeah. he, it's not an act that's genuinely who he was and and how he went about it and it was so refreshing and brilliant to see when you couple that with the offensive mind that he had and, and the innovation that he injected into the sport, we won't see someone like that again. So really sad to see. Uh, and you, you kind of, you, you really look at that and, and think college football has lost a, a significant piece of, of history uh, in, 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 in what it is. Um, but... It, it, it's something that, uh, you know, the, the team has now had to overcome uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next at Mississippi State post the, the big man. Yeah, and one last thing I think um, has been brought up and I'm certainly a favour of this and I know people get very um, emotional and, and the reactions uh, are born out of that emotion, but... There has been talk around like a college football hall of fame and does he deserve to be in there? And I 100% think he does. Now, he's not going to get there because of the wins and losses, but in terms of an impact on the game, on offensive football, there has not been another one in the last 50 years that has had the impact on on the way that the game is played than Mike Leach. And he's he probably will he probably would he probably won't get there he probably won't get there because it's not it's all about success and and he it, it is but 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 they have this determining what is it you need to have won 60 percent of your matches across your career he hasn't 
it, it was at like 59% or something like that. Like it's really close to that automate, automatic qualifying level. So I get that he hasn't, but very much to your point about the innovation and the impact he's had on the sport, first ballot, get him in. Yeah. And then, and just lastly, you look at, I mean, Lincoln Riley spoke at his, um, spoke at his, his, I guess the funeral, oh, I don't know if it actually was more like the ceremony at memorial, Mississippi yeah. State Starkville, more the, the memorial, yeah, rather than the, the funeral. But just some of the words that he said around how he gave him a chance and as a grad student and, um, you know, the fact that he, he, he would not be where he is today with his USC team without playing under Mike Leach. And again, Lincoln Riley isn't the innovator he is and isn't the offensive mind he is without Mike Leach. Neither is Graham Harrell. Um, neither is all these crazy spread dudes you see all over the place. Um, they're nowhere without him. All right. So, um, anyway, really disappointing. But we move on. So, before we get into some bowl game stuff, there is one last headline, actually. And this is making headlines because it's the most fucking ridiculous thing I've heard in forever. And Alabama's Will Anderson is... And this just shows where the sport is at with bowl games, which is showing why I freaking hate it. He is making headlines because he is playing in a bowl game. How is that? That is so good. And it wasn't that long ago that we were having headlines made about people opting out. But now everybody expects everybody to opt out. So it's a surprise when they do stay and play the game. And well done, Will Anderson. You Congratulations on playing the game you're meant to play. That is such good news. And, you know, have a headline, buddy. So that's a strange take to be mad at him for doing the right thing. Like it, it, I'm, not, it I'm, not, I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at the media. <laughs> I guess that's where I'm getting it. You're mad at the system, and I get that. Like It is frustrating that these guys go out. I know Oklahoma State uh, had Brock Martin, so he's, he's a likely draft candidate uh, playing on the D-line today. And I saw his Twitter announcement that came out that, firstly, I thought it was another transfer portal because we've had so many of those. <laughs> like, you know, I love this place more than anything, and I'd like to say that I'm Catch transferring it. out. You're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. So this kind of started as that. <laughs> And then quickly jumped into, and because of this, I will be playing in the bowl game because these yeah, are my brothers. Yeah, you're making an announcement that you... Well, no, I think that's fantastic, though. Like, it, it is disappointing that we now, like, it, it's a, it's kind of a privilege, not a right sort of thing, but uh, good for the guys that do it. I'm all for it. Uh, I think you see these things through, it, it, it's a big part of your life, this college experience, and just because perhaps things didn't go your way, you're not in the national championship hunt, I think seeing something out uh, and, and trying to, to do that with the brothers that you've formed there is, is an important thing. Yep. Cool. Bowl games. All right. Let's get to some scores. I'm going to hit some quickly. You can add in here. But UTSA, who I love, only managed 12 points in a loss to Troy. Florida, they're really good, right? No, nah, they get stiffed by Oregon State and don't even look competitive. Washington State, Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati, they'll, they'll play really hard, you know, for Luke Fickle on the way out. Not put up seven points. So them and the Cougs, both yeah. no-show. Um, mostly low-scoring games. And even if they're not low-scoring, they're really low-quality. Um, Boise State and North Texas was okay. So, I mean, Hank Backmire didn't play because why would you? Um, so they just trot out some random dude. So they're the scores that I've sort of noticed so far. So yay, bowl games. 
Look, it, I'm not going to be the guy to die on. The I'm going to die on this hill. Yeah, and you can. I'm not going to be the one to go against you in this situation because from what <laughs> we've seen so far, it hadn't been great. I haven't been super dialed into it because there's not that much happening. For your team, yeah, it's great to have. I think this is more for the players as, as a celebration of their year. So, uh, And I, I hear that. like, And that's an argument that's made. However, with all the guys opting out, what are they celebrating? Nothing. Yeah, but, but you're assuming that the only ones that are important are those that are going on to the NFL. That, that's no, the one. No, that, those no, are the no, one no, percent. I'm, I'm talking no, about the other 99 percent. No, no, no. Not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that these other guys aren't valuable or important. 100 percent they are, and they deserve it. I 100 percent agree with that. But as a neutral spectator, I want to see the best players play. So yes. if those guys are going to sit, all of a sudden, like I said earlier, they've either been low scoring or low quality. So. You just you lose that edge when you lose that top upper echelon. You lose the quality. And can games still be fun that way? Sure, but as a neutral supporter, you know, in in the regular season, is is Baylor scoring fifteen points and getting rolled by Air Force? Probably not. Like I, you know, yeah. I just... And and like the point that I'm trying to make is that these games so so the group of six absolutely spectacles really keen to see it the ones before that that we've got going on here are not so much for our consumption they're not so much the the spectacles that they want they're a reward for the kids who've been playing and, and it's an experience for them it's very much the the bowl week the the travel to wherever they go the swag that they get with it the experiences that they have and and then the game itself is kind of a, a byproduct of all of that that we can watch it or we can't. They don't really give a shit. And, and I'm cool with that. So here's an idea. Don't know if I even love this myself because it just popped <laughs> into my head. Um, send everyone to Disneyland. Send Disneyland. No. For, so there's 43 bowls this year. So 43 times 2, 86. There's 86 of a possible 130 teams involved in bowl games or some sort of other celebratory game. Why not just allow every team to play then? Why not just have like? Because I, so no, but got... I still think you want to be fighting for bowl eligibility. Which, uh, like, I'm with you. I think we've we've lowered that bar too much. That should be higher. It should be eight wins or more in my eyes, uh, so that there's a reward for a successful season, uh, depending on how you look at that. But like, that's you still want to be striving for it and it's a reward on the back of that yes that reward has now been lowered to you know six wins some five win teams getting in but then it's also about the quality of the reward because you can end up going to Boca Raton which I don't know maybe that's a nice place perhaps it's not Mate, I don't you're know in so- you're in South Florida and people would be would love to go there Florida man uh, scares me on Twitter I see Florida man and stories of Florida man I, I don't know if that's what I want uh, or you can get sent to Orlando and you go, they go to Disneyland and they, they do some cool stuff there depending on the quality of your game. You get better gifts with the, the bigger bowl games as well. I think. I, it's, I, it's like I, a tiering thing. Yeah, I, I, I get I get the concept, but I think like you said, if it was just the six or just the whatever, you know, 10 maybe quality ones then or 15, whatever number you want to put on it, then, you know, it, it holds more value. But this does lead me to potentially a concession. I haven't fully decided yet, but... <laughs> I think I think I want to get to the twelve team playoff quicker. Okay, I was always anti the playoff, um, and I 
guess this year, and maybe I'm a little bit early into the bowl, like this bowl season down the down the stretch here could get really good really quickly, and that'll be like, no, nah, I'm retracting that statement. Uh, but what I want is entertaining and competitive games. That is all I want, and the more the better. So under the new 12-team playoff model, there's 11 games in that system to find our eventual winner. Thinking under what we've sort of seen so far with most of our bowl games over the years, about half of those games are going to be competitive. All right? So 50%. So you're looking at five or six games that are relevant and interesting under that model. Like I mentioned earlier, this year under the current system, 43 bowls, I think maybe we get eight interesting games. And looking at using the same probability, 50% being interesting, that leaves me with four. So I'm banking on the 12-team playoff and having more of those players stay involved for longer that I'll take the five or six games being interesting over the four games being interesting. That's where I'm at. See, we were worried we weren't going to be schmick in this episode and you've just given us a fucking math lesson. I love that. Mate. That's, that's great. But it's just a fucking shit show. <laughs> I just... All like, right, I, I, and I do, I do it every year, and I hate that I do it every year. I hate that I get to the end of the season. I'm like, again, the the, the sentence is the best regular season in all of sport, the worst postseason in all of sport. All right, I, let's... I've, I've got some games I want to get into, but before oh, okay. we do that, now is your time to shine. We're, mm. we're heading into the off-season. It is... We've got signing day. This is where you really come to the fore. All year long, we've been talking about actual results that happen on the field. Who gives a fuck about that? No one really cares about that. If you can be as dominant as you and your Hurricanes are uh, at, off the field in, when, in handing out money to people in brown paper bags, <laughs> this is where you come to the fore. Not so us. I Give us some signing day news, my man, because it's happened and, and I see you guys again giving you hope and at the top of the, the charts here. Uh, there's hope and then there's real hope, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Alabama, take it out again. I think the big the big mover from last year from on a negative perspective, I suppose, is Texas A&M. Sorry, just before we get into this, uh, there may be a few. So, so we had signing day, but this is the early signing day. So, are you, yeah, are you okay, able to give us give just some... a bit of a rundown? Yeah, of course. What so, this is? sorry, yeah, we've uh, yeah really jumped the gun here a little bit, but so the um, old signing day or the second signing day or whatever occurs in February, um, and that is on completion of. Um, uh, the entire season and historically and that, was when, that was when all of the kids signed right so, yep. so, so you so could we, not sign before that date they've now opened up in the last three years i think it's the third year of it Go with that. um a four day window three or four day window no i think it's only three wednesday thursday friday a three-day window in December, that if you are a player that is 100% locked in with your team, that you can sign your letter of intent um, to play for that school. Once you've signed that and faxed that document off, you are then officially committing to the school. You, If you decide that you are changing your mind at that point, that requires you to transfer. And, and effectively, from that point on, you are part of that um, learning institution, I suppose. Um, so you got that three-day window to sign. On the first, the first go-round of this, it was about a 50-50 split. 
and uh, over time we've seen more and more um, commit on the early signing day and to the point where classes are done and dusted now pretty much there's a few guys still out there that are a bit unsure on what they're doing but for most um, like you're looking at like 98% of, of guys are committed at this point and classes yeah, are Yeah, well, I, th- I think you're looking at like 90% of the top 500 guys are now done, right? Correct, and, it, and it's even higher than that in the top 300. So, um, yeah, so it's pretty much done now. Early signing day is it. Um, big winners, like I said, Alabama, Georgia um, have done really, really well. Texas at three. Now, Texas have always recruited pretty well. Not this well, though. So, Sark must be doing something well down there, landing his four, five stars. But they got Alabama, Arch Manning, right? Yeah, got Arch Manning. Got the number one player in the country. Um, down to the Longhorns. Um, USC are really top heavy. I don't mean that in a bad way, but they got um, two of the top five Um with a quarterback, Malachi Nelson, and um, Zachary Branch, the wide receiver, who is awesome as well. Ma- um, and, so- and it's tough. Like, you look at Malachi Nelson coming in, Lincoln Riley offense, you get a year uh-huh. to sit behind Caleb Williams, uh, learn the system, come in, and then win the Heisman. Like, sounds yeah. pretty good to me. Uh, there's no knocking on that. I think you missed over the- who was the number four team? The number four team was. Uh, my Miami Hurricanes. Oh. Yeah, Mario Cristobal has done a really, really good job with the class. And um, I tend not to look at overall scores. And I think looking at overall scores and looking at start, looking at stars is yeah, neither here nor there. I don't really, I'm not as invested as, as these um, pundits are all over the place. But um, you got to look at that average recruiting number. Well, and, and you, want really nice you want playmakers. You want you Did you get a quarterback? You, d- you got a quarterback? Be we did. About? We got a three-star three star quarterback. So we lost Jaden Rashada, who flipped to Florida. Um, that was simply a money thing. Um, <laughs> signed, signed a big old contract. But we've gone full noise on both the offensive and defensive line. Um, so, yeah, f- feeling pretty good about the class at this point. You get two five-star tackles. That's probably going to help. Um, but, again, you're not going to see the fruits of that labor for a couple of years yet. You won't. Um, you won't. But you've got to build up those trenches. That's, that's yeah, good. you do. So you, so, do. So, so you mentioned A&M were a loser. They, they've fallen down. Yeah. A so Texas A&M put up the highest scoring class of all time last year. There's a lot of discussion and rumors around um, Texas A&M and their NIL systems, and they're not not necessarily doing anything illegal, but just the way it's been structured, and and this has been consistent across the whole country. This isn't just Texas A&M, but kids are getting onto campus, signing NIL deals, not fully understanding the contract, how it works, and as a result are out of school and they're not seeing the things that they were promised. That is not solely a Texas A&M thing. I would suggest that most schools are or have done something similar or they're seeing less or there's different conditions than they expected. For example, um, I believe some schools are saying, yep, you've got this deal, here's the money, but they're not paying it until the end of their fourth year. And these kids might be like a three-year player. And you've got sort of things on both sides. You've got regret from the players. And then you've got a little bit of buyer's remorse from the people paying it if those people aren't performing, those guys aren't performing. So there's a, there's a lot to navigate our way through here. And it's still a little bit murky in this NIL world. 
Um, Michigan, a little bit down in terms of their recruiting as well. I'm um, trying to work our way into the Big Ten here as we as as I look for your Oklahoma State Cowboys. Um, You're going to keep scrolling. I, I go past Duke. I go past Vanderbilt. Um, go past Memphis. And there you are between Virginia and Boise State at number 63. Uh, not a great surprise. Um, you've always had to, to work really, really hard on the recruiting front. Um, but, you know, it, it, recruiting just, I guess, means a little bit less to, to you guys. And, and so it should. I mean, you guys still make bowl games and still do a really, really good job. A couple of big, big stories on signing day. There has been a lot of fanfare and a lot of kind of like crazy outcomes um Peyton Bowen was the big one um initially uh committed to Notre Dame on signing day flipped to Oregon and then flipped again to Oklahoma the day after that so he ends up this five-star safety ends up being committed to three schools in three days so so I'm Uh, assuming the letter of intent got like caught in the fax machine or something like that and he was like like, oh that's a sign no, I'm going. Well, I, I I think I think a few of them like I think a lot of them sign multiple for their like social media stuff. They sign multiple letters of intent and then have them all sitting there and then it's the one they actually fax, they just burn the rest. Um probably that's, yeah, yeah, that's a good way like yes you can set up. you can get a whole heap of followers through that, right? But you can also get a lot of fucking yeah, hatred yeah. of all of said followers. Oh, yeah. By hey, yeah. I'm coming to your school. Everyone's really excited. Actually, Follow me, and then they will. And actually, then, nah, actually, fuck you. I'm signing with your rival. It's not, yep. not a great way of doing. That it. certainly happens. Oregon, the other big winner um, on signing day, just pretty much just pillaged Notre Dame's class actually, and then converted all those. Just to give you some insight, there's ten guys still on the market. Well, actually, I, I lie. Of the top 10 after signing day, Desmond Ricks has now signed with Alabama, just another five-star. But you're looking at numbers ranking, individual player ranking overall, 35, 36, 99, 118, 125, 144. So very quickly, you can see that the best players are pretty much done and dusted. Look, that has been fantastic because that's the most life we've heard from you on this podcast for the last 12 <laughs> weeks, I'd say, in terms of how excited you are. So I love I'm the happy. off-season. I love the uh, off-season. The I know this, this is where you shine, but I think we can now flip over from the boring recruiting of uh, high school yep. kids into the transfer Perfect. portal. Let's yep. get this into is the... You. This exactly is Exactly right. This is so where Mike Gundy comes out and says, not a big transfer portal guy, don't believe in it. And then we turn it around and sign a top 10 transfer class. Look at us go. <laughs> I'm ex- I don't know any of the players. Uh, That's I've, good. I've, I've got no background around what they do, but I'm assuming they're really good. I mean, in, in talking through the transfer portal, this is new to college football and, and we're still trying to figure out the impact that it's going to have and how it's all going to work. But it, it's a fascinating piece to add into the drama that is college football now around mm-hmm. where these kids go, why they're doing it, uh, and, and what's happening there. Obviously, the NIL and the, and the money factor is a big part of it, but there's also situations of poor culture in programs that, that drive to, to mass ac- exodus. Uh, that's or maybe not poor culture, maybe... As in, sorry, 
I was going to say like it's not necessarily that the team culture is bad. It's, it it's could be. The, it could, it could be, be the players. The yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, correct. Exactly right. And it works both ways. So it's fascinating to see that. There's also some fairly big names who, who kind of pop up and, and are looking for opportunity or, or think that they might be able to springboard themselves. Because if you look at the the recent history of Heisman winners, you look at uh, where we have Joe Burrow, at Kalen Williams win it this year. He was OU to USC, Joe Burrow, uh, Ohio State to LSU. Kyler Murray was uh, Jalen Hurts. All these guys, transfers. So fascinating to see. Uh, you mentioned Travis Hunter off off the bat uh, has followed Deion Sanders there. Uh, we've also seen Devin Leary, uh, the NC State gunslinger. I thought he was done. But, it feels like but he's I just been don't, like I, I don't understand. Like I don't understand. Like Sam Hartman's the same as well. His name's in the transfer portal, and a lot of quarter, it's quarterbacks often. But like Sam Hartman is a starter. He's putting up numbers. I guess he wants some more notoriety heading into a draft. I assume yes, that's the I angle assume that's he's it for him. Absolutely. taking. But it's like, what are you getting from going to Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame that you're you're not getting at Wake? Like, I just... Mm, everyone knows your name. They know who you are. They know your story. Well, like, I, Spencer, I Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State has, has gone to the portal now. And where, where's he going to go... It, it, it seems like an odd one, and, and he hasn't signed on there. Grayson McCall at uh, Coastal Carolina, who's, who's been, what, three-time player of the conference there, uh, is now in and available and, and looking for a new home. You can understand a situation like Hudson Card, right? He, he's a guy who fell out of favour at Texas, a highly recruited kid going in there, didn't quite work out for him, has been overtaken by Quinn Ewers there, has Arch Manning now as, as the heir apparent as well. Makes sense. Makes sense. And he, and he, he, pro- he ain't going to get any playing tra- time. He's probably a transfer guy under the old system. In the old world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, I, where I now there's, still, there's a lot, and there's a lot of names going in there too. So, well, and like we we had this conversation the other day, um, but you know, there's there's a lot more names going into that portal than are coming back out, and there's a lot of kids who either are going to end up returning to their school, or if the school decides to to hook their scholarship, that's it for them. They probably go and play. FCS or something. I mean, they'll get a home somewhere, but it won't be in FBS football. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's a risk that you run uh, when you're putting your name out there that the high school, uh, sorry, your college can pull the the uh, scholarship offer, uh, and and you may no longer be eligible for that. So. Fascinating to see how that continues to play out. There are still a number of names that are available in there and that will continue to develop as as we move on into the off-season. And there'll be another influx going into the portal around spring ball um, as players find that they have been overtaken by you know incoming people or whatever and the reshuffle occurs and they're like, actually, I'm out of here. So there'll be more names that come in. Um, but yeah, so... I don't know. It'll be an interesting one. The last thing, and we've mentioned this already as well, is that the the big guys have already probably got a spot lined up before they even hit the portal. Um, there was some news come out around Mike Norvell actually getting in touch with Travis Hunter before he put his name in the portal, um, which is technically tampering. Of course, nothing will come of this, but um, yeah, he put And I'm sure there, so. he's the only one. Oh, exactly. All right, 
Um, we've covered a lot of, you know, rehashed a lot of ground there probably, but what is going to be brand new is the previews to the New Year's Six Bowl game. So let's dive straight in. The Fiesta Bowl, TCU, Michigan. Uh, very quickly on this one, Air Raid guys and Air Raid teams have struggled in the past in playoff spots. TCU is Air Raid all the way. Now, the only reason that TCU is here in the first place is because of their scheme, by the way. I'm not sort of downplaying Air Raid. Um, it is a critical part to, to bridge the gap in terms of um, player recruiting. Um, but Max Duggan, a really, really good one. He's going to have to do it in the air on the ground. Michigan last year, their first crack in the playoff got blown out. I expect them to handle TCU comfortably in this one. They're top 10 in the country in both scoring offense and scoring defense. Only team that is ranked as such. The avenue to TCU winning is probably the lack of Blake Corum being available and maybe the defense being able to hold down JJ McCarthy and Donovan Edwards in the backfield and make them one-dimensional. But I don't see it. I think Michigan are going to be too good up front um, and this is going to get out of hand. Ooh, so out, out of hand is an interesting take. And, and I like a lot of the points that you've made there because I've got them jotted down in front of me as well here, mate, in that it's, it's difficult to see how an air raid team will be able to shape up and have success in this playoff scenario because we just haven't seen it before. And, and this Michigan squad, whilst they struggled in their semifinal last year with Georgia, that, that was a different matchup. They were up against a different beast, and they are not an air raid team. They are a group that is built around running the football well. Yes, you mentioned Blake Corum is out with this one with an injury. Donovan Edwards has stepped in the last two games and dude. been awesome. He, he's yeah. run for over 400 yards in the last two games at an average of 8.5 per clip. He, he is exceptional in his own right, and I think... The key to this one is going to be whether TCU can prevent that or whether they just get eaten up there because we, we've seen both scenarios recently within the last month. TCU really struggled against Kansas State in containing Juice Vaughn, who's a dynamic running back for Kansas State in that championship game. He was able to take them for over 130 yards and that ended up being the, the, the difference in that one in them losing in overtime there. Before that, this TCU team held Texas to 28 yards on the ground. They've got a pretty handy running back by the name of Bijan Robinson, who I'm sure you've heard of, that they were absolutely able to smother and keep out of the game. So, so there is some chance in there that they're going to be able to contain that, but that is the key and that's what they're going to need to do to have a shot in this one. But I think you're comparing uh, a Michigan offensive line to a Texas offensive line. Which is probably unfair. Which is probably unfair. That is, and, and they're built to run. That's that's what they are trying to do. I think Donovan Edwards, to me, you ever play NBA Jam? Uh, when your yes. player gets on fire and he ends up all sparkly and <laughs> yeah. stuff. I reckon yeah. Donovan Edwards could be that dude in this game and he might just completely glisten Yes. Um, and sparkle his way to you know yes. 150 all-purpose yards and just I, tear the game open. I, I think it certainly seems to be that Michigan are the better team. From what we've seen both offensively and defensively this year, they they 
are an excellent football team. TCU have been all about heart all year in terms of pulling it out and Max Duggan willing things to happen and then them happening. Quinton Johnson having massive games. Kendra Miller blowing up for them. Like they've, they've got yeah. dudes and, and they've been making it happen. But Michigan just seem like a more professional, more yeah. clinical machine that we've got. Now, then they're not without fault. The, the last two games that they've had, they were down to Ohio State at halftime. They're only up by a point against Purdue in the Big Ten Championship game. Yes, they ended up winning both of those games comfortably, but that's not a game that you want to play against this TCU team. You don't want to let them get out in front and then as a run first team, need to make up a couple of scores in the last half. So they're going to want to turn that around. I'm fascinated. I I tend to agree with you. I think Michigan will win. But there is a world here where TCU certainly made this a a close one for them. For sure. Absolutely. It just feels like they're going to have to redline it horribly, um, whereas Michigan can probably chug their way through the first half. Got more room for error. Yeah. And I know you said, like, they don't want to be down two scores and having to run the ball. I don't. They're not fast by that though. They've, we've seen that this year. They've been down a bit, and they're just like, you know what? We're just going to roll through you guys in the second half, and that's what they do. So, yeah, I'm I'm taking the Wolverines in this one. Okay, in the other semi-final in the Peach Bowl, Ohio State and Georgia. Now, one of these teams looks like the best team in the country, and by some distance, the other team came in as a scorching. Not favourite, but certainly a scorching competitor. Like, probably was looked at as maybe this could have been the final at the start of the year, Ohio State, Georgia. Uh, I'll let you take this one first and, and see what you reckon, but I think this one could be pretty one-sided as well. Yes, and, and I tend to agree, and, and I'm sure it's we're both going to be on the same side in this one, but just from what we've seen with these two teams lately and with how they've been trending. So so if we start with Ohio State, this is a team that has squeaked their way into this playoff. They didn't even make it into the Big Ten Championship game after getting absolutely handled by Michigan. So they spent their conference championship game on the couch at home watching this and needing help to get in, and they got it. If, if, if we go back to the start of the year, as you mentioned... This Ohio State team was my pick to win it all. I, I thought they were fantastic. I think they, they've got players all over the field. They've still got these players all over the field. CJ Stroud uh, has shown that he is a fantastic player. Yes, his last month has been somewhat down, and that's ended up costing him the Heisman. I think if he had a stronger uh, last month, he's the winner. But he, he was, what, runner-up in the end? Did, it, did he come nah, runner-up? Duggan was runner-up. Okay. He was at the finals, right? And, and and he's a very good player. He's also got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka yep. as the, the two most dominant wide receiver pairing that we've seen uh, and that Georgia will have seen all year. And not so, Jackson Smith in Jigba for some fucking reason, but yeah. He had his hamstring. He's now... Yeah, uh, I know he is now. But he's just doing his, his NFL year thing. Was a disa- yeah, it was a disaster. It, it was. It, it absolutely was. So this uh, the Ohio State team came in with these these huge thoughts and then they, they, they were about mid-season showing some serious holes. And we all thought they were going to get it together and it wouldn't be an issue. And then they fucking didn't. And then Michigan beat them easily and they've really struggled there. Travion Henderson is done for the year. He's a running back that uh, we're all really excited about coming into this year. There's also some question marks over the health of Mayan Williams 
in in terms of what involvement he's going to have. Now, in the press conferences this week, they've come out and said, yeah, he's going to be good to go. I don't fucking believe them. I, I think there's, there's some serious issues going on there that perhaps we don't know about from an, uh, a health standpoint, be it injuries or, or whatever it is. But if he's not up for it, the, the two leading rushes out of this game is a big hole because one thing you cannot be against the best defense in the country is one-dimensional. You can, as good as CJ Stroud is, and as good as the wide receiver weapons that he has, you cannot allow them to just pin their ears back and get after you because they bloody well will. This Georgia team is is very very good defensively. They've got three first rounders on that defense again in Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and Keely Ringo. They're all going in the first round. They're all absolute playmakers. And the one thing that we see now from this Georgia team that makes them the best team in the country at the moment, as opposed to historically perhaps not the case, is that offensively they stack up as well. They're scoring 40 points a game. Stetson Bennett was at that same Heisman Trophy thing. Brock Bowers is continuing to develop as the best tight end in the game. They've got a handful of running backs who can get the job done. Like... I don't see the crack in Georgia. I, I don't know where to knock them. I don't see the weakness. As much as I did love this Ohio State team coming into this year, I just I cannot see them knocking over Georgia here. They look too strong. Yeah, I think uh, Georgia's weakness is like anyone's weakness. Probably, if you can get a pass rush, like if you can get pressure on Stetson Bennett and make that clock speed up on him. He is going to struggle because everybody, every quarterback does. Like, and we saw that at stages last year uh, in that semifinal, even in that final when Alabama got on top year. in that third. No, we haven't seen it this year, but that that is the tick. I think I agree with you here. I think in terms of the CJ Stroud take, I think that's really really accurate. I think he's been good, not great, uh, and you need someone who's really really great. Um, running game again, big question marks. And, and just the last thing, and this isn't anything tangible, but it just feels like Ohio State haven't quite clicked, particularly on offense, but certainly as a team. And it's it, it feels like they're just fighting with themselves at, a mo- at the moment. It just hasn't come easy to them. And, and I kind of think back to certain um, teams and sports that you know I've played in, and sometimes you have those years where everything just comes really easily and really natural and it's free flowing and it's smooth and even the little hiccups feel like the solutions right around the corner this year's Ohio State hasn't felt like that they've been really pressing and stretching and it hasn't and and I know that's not a tangible thing but that's not what you want coming in against the best country against I guess against the best team in the country lastly maybe a bit of a spicy take here but is Ryan Day that good a coach and the reason I ask that is because we're now at a point where he has got elite playmakers. They have to go close in this game. If they get blown out here, I think you've got to start asking questions. And I'm, I'm not saying we're firing the dude. But I think you've got to start asking questions. Is he actually a guy that can get this done consistently year in, year out? Is he then the is he the Saban is he the Kirby Smart that that can is he the Darbo that year in year out they can get their teams 
in really competitive situations over a five, six, seven-year span because that's what they signed up for and that's what they need. And, and that's really harsh and it's hard to win. It's hard to win a national championship, but that's what they've signed up for. And I think if he falls flat here, I don't know. You've given uh, three examples there, but they're not examples. You've given the list. You've given the, the, the three guys in that conversation. When, when you talk mm, about bright. people at, at that level, uh, in current day, at that level, but, we have but that's, those but that's three what, guys and, yeah, and that's, but that's it. Yeah, but that's what they—that's what they—that's what they're part of. They're part of that upper echelon. They have got the money. They have got the recruiting. They have got the support. They yeah. have got all the infrastructure in place that not every team does. There's only five or six or seven teams that have actually got all these things, and they're one of them. So they signed up for one of these dudes, I, I and he has to be that dude. It's—it's it's a very tough thing, and it's taken all not, of them years to not do. Denying. Right. It's yeah, taken, yeah. They've all been given a long lead time in, into achieving this. Uh, I think it's probably quite harsh on on where they're at. And like to put it down to this game, I'm regardless, not putting it down to this game. I'm putting it down to getting steamrolled by Michigan and then this game. Yeah, look, I, I I'm not with I mean, you I, on this one. I, I think, and, and and that's fine. I just think like. It'll be an interesting two years for Ryan Day from this point on if he gets rolled here. And then what does he need to do? Beat Michigan. You know, That's what he needs to do. He needs to yeah, beat Michigan. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, look, I'm sure. Are trouble. you punting on both of these games? I haven't seen you punting. Uh, I, not on the result of either of them. Uh, but I expect Michigan and Georgia to win. Okay. Um, I will. I'm not going on the punt this week, but if I was, I'd be taking Michigan and Georgia both by double digits. Ooh, okay, that is how confident I am. Um, I think Georgia's what six and a half. Mm-hmm. TC uh, Michigan, sorry, was eight and a half. Dragged into seven and a half at the moment. I think That's so. Um, so yeah, I'm saying ten points plus for both. All right, let's get to the Orange Bowl. Which is two teams wearing orange. I like it. <laughs> Tennessee and Clemson. Um, you've got Super Air Raid um, versus a Clemson team that has always been able to put together good defenses and they're still pretty good, but they're just missing Brent Venables. Who, if he was there, I think you'd take Clemson probably pretty comfortably. But Josh Heupel, no Malik Hooker in this one. Can he get it done against the Tigers? Hendon Hooker. Uh, Hendon look- Hooker. I've I've got a few quick takes on this one. So you've nailed it there. Hendon Hooker's out. That leaves Tennessee with Joe Milton under centre. On the other side of the ball within this one, we're not going to have DJU for Clemson. Uh, They'll be starting Cade Klubnik. Uh, And I don't know if you caught the ACC Championship game, but he came on in relief of DJU in that one and was fantastic. I think this is actually a big win for this Clemson team. Uh, and that if they hadn't made this move earlier in the year, there's a better chance that they'd be... He played a fair bit this year, and there's a lot of growing pains. Like, And maybe he's coming into his own, he's starting to feel a bit more comfortable, but he was, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Give, give me Klubnik over Milton every day of the week. I think this, this Tennessee uh, pass D has been a liability for them all year, and I think that puts him in a position to be really successful here. I think he would have had a good month in the lead-up too. 
to continue to grow, uh, get some more experience with the starters, knowing full well that he was going to be started in this one. I think they're going to be able to exploit that. I know Darbo's got a really strong record in bowl games. Obviously, a lot of the time he's playing in, in the playoff matches historically, but he has done well in his tenure there in these bowl games. I fully expect him to, to win this one and win it quite well. Yeah. Um, and again, you, you could see Tennessee fall flat from an offensive perspective and, and that wouldn't be a surprise either. Everyone's probably going in there expecting they're going to put up 35 points just out the gate. But that's certainly, you know, again, we've seen these bowl games. That's not always the case for these air raid teams. And there is no rhythm at this point. They've had a long layoff. Um, so can they come in and get it done? Probably not. I probably tend to lean into defenses, so I would agree with you. The only thing I think that gives Tennessee chances if their uber-aggressive defense can confuse Klubnik enough and get enough pressure on him that and, and cause some short fields, turnovers, things like that, you you certainly probably take or like to think that Tennessee are more of a chance. So I'm going to say if, if Clemson give up three sacks and six tackles for loss... They lose. If they can keep him clean, they win. Okay. That's it. All right, the Sugar Bowl, Alabama, K-State. I mean, disappointing for Alabama. They We thought <laughs> there was an outside chance they were going to fill the role that Ohio State did at one point, sitting there when USC lost and Oregon lost and like, oh, God, it's happening again, isn't it? But no, um, Alabama have missed out in the playoff. They played K-State team who, out of the box this year, um, no one really expected Big Will Howard, no one really expected Deuce Vaughn to carry them as far as, as they did. But, gee, this is a, a big, big matchup <laughs> for the Wildcats. Yes, yeah, look, big, big 12 champions going against this Alabama team, and what they would have liked to have heard is not the headlines that you talked about off the, the kickoff here. <laughs> they would have liked to have seen Bryce Young, Will Anderson not fucking playing, yeah. both out, and, and that they get some fresh meat, but that's not going to be the case. And, and the fact that they're showing up is enough for me. Like, you've got two of the top players in the country, both said that they're going to play in this game. That means they're here to fucking win too. So, uh, like... K-State have been great. Juice Vaughn, really little dude. He's had a fantastic <laughs> college career. He's a really little dude. <laughs> he is. And he, the way he flips around and, and makes dudes miss, is it's something else. Uh, and, and he's been great. But the talent that this Alabama D are going to bring to the table, headlined by Henry T.O. T.O.? No. What is that? No. Toe, 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 toe. Toe, toe, toe? There's too many T's there. Toe, toe. There we go. All right. Well, I think I should have picked someone else. Jaquincy McKinstry uh, <laughs> out at the DD yeah, position. Good. Look, that that D is just its going to be too tough. And they're, they're going to struggle yeah. to put up enough points here. Bryce Young is a fantastic playmaker. He will be able to score. They are going to be able to do it. I as, as you know, defense has been okay. Maybe they, they have been okay. Maybe they have been okay. But maybe uh, that those wide receivers who have not been that impressive for Alabama this year. Um, don't know. Just a thought. Mm. 
I, I, I'm not buying into it. I think Alabama win this one, uh, just with the intent that they've shown about this game. And I think whilst Nick Saban hasn't had a fantastic history in the Sugar Bowl, I'm, I'm backing him in to get it done. Tulane and USC in the Cotton Bowl. This is a oh. sort of home game for Tulane. Ooh. Arlington, um, Texas, close. Well, it's closer than <laughs> California. Um, USC, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, the quarterback with Caleb Williams, obviously. Um, Jordan Addison not playing in this game, so he's a one-and-done for the Trojans, and he's off to the NFL. Not a great surprise there. Tulane had some moments this year um, so, and some opportunities, and the UCF game sort of jumps to mind. Couldn't always execute, couldn't always finish. Again, it feels like this is just a USC win. However, the air raid out of rhythm argument comes up again. Um, and we've seen these air raid teams no show. Uh, I mean, Tulane's still leaning into that as well. But yeah, I, I'm not super excited for this game. So I probably won't tune into it. But what is your take for the Green Wave? Can they get there? Oh, absolutely! I think they Big can. Big scout in this one. for them potentially. It, it would be, but this—I don't like being this guy. But this very much feels like: Why do USC care about this? Like, for me, this is the ultimate. Looking through all of these matchups, I can make an argument for all the other teams as to why they would want to win for USC after getting stomped out by Utah and missing out on their playoff spot. They're checked out. They don't give a fuck. They're done. Jordan Addison said he's done. Caleb Williams has said, I'll, I'll come around again, but that's probably because he's just won the Heisman and he kind of feels like he needs to see this round and he's playing again next year. Uh, <laughs> but I fully expect him to get pulled at some point in this match just because it, like, I don't think they care. And, and yeah. like, I, I don't want to take away from, from the guys that are working hard there or, or to the Tulane program, but for me, massive massive like i would not touch you at betting on usc in this one because i just don't think the motivation is going to be there tulane you, you talked about ty, ty j spears uh has been a fantastic offensive weapon in the uh, american conference this season uh he's helped guide them to win it i think it'd be fantastic for them to cap it off they are motivated this this is like taking the program scout. taking the yeah. program to new heights sort of deal. So they're going to want to. I'll back that in in this one. This is the upset. Uh, I haven't seen what the line is here, but for, if I'm picking one, which I'm I'm not, I'm taking Tulane here. Yeah, and I fully can see how that world exists. Um, but USC, is there any chance that Lincoln Riley just calls a really slow game? And he doesn't go up tempo, and he just tries to turn this into like a, a one hour forty five game, score seven, th- win seven three, and just move on with their lives. I just love to see that. I'm not saying like go like triple option, but just like run the ball a lot and just take air out of the ball and just get through it. Yeah. Oh, look, I don't think so. But uh, no, I don't think so. We'll see. I mean, the coaches have got to still show that they care unless you're Dan Mullen, um, and then you can openly say we don't give a fuck. Anyway, Penn State and Utah in the Rose Bowl. This one feels like it's going to be a little more punchy than the Cotton Bowl. Obviously, you've got Utah again winning the Pac-12. Penn State, uh, people will argue they were there and thereabouts all year, but they still felt a step behind the other two um, teams in the Big Ten, Ohio State Michigan. 
but should be a relatively interesting matchup. I, I don't know where do you where do you where do you come down with these two teams? Oh, I think this is going to be an absolute belter, and and I think the the common sentiment is exactly as you you've nailed there. Penn State, oh yeah, they're they're a little bit behind the two other teams in the conference, and and that makes them kind of an also ran. Those are the two losses that they had on this season. That happens to be the number two and number four team in the nation. Like, these teams that, yes, they're not as good as, are pretty fucking good. They're two of the best teams in the country. Outside of those games, this Penn State team's been pretty dominant. They've, they've won their last four games by more than 19 points. They did that eight times this year uh, across the season. They were belting teams. And yes, they had a, a couple of unfortunate ones, but that's against very good teams. I think... Uh, there's a solid argument to say Penn State are the most underrated team in all of college football this year. Uh, and they now match up with the back-to-back Pac-12 champs in Utah, who I think both you and I were on board early in the year, hoping that they could maybe make it out of the Pac-12. Obviously, they mm. had that loss to Florida early that completely derailed that and, and knocked to the side. But they bounced back. This is a very talented team led by Cam Rising at the quarterback position. So to see these two play off in the Rose Bowl on the back of last year's Rose Bowl game uh, that was incredible. I don't know if you remember the Utah-Ohio State matchup that just blew up for a million points and, and mm-hmm. was a hell of a lot of fun. I could see that happening again this year. So... I think this one here for mine is one that I'm really keen on watching. Now, Penn State losing Joey Porter Jr. Uh, for this one, who's declared for the draft, is a big hit for them because he's been a weapon at one of the cornerback positions for them. But I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not. I can't pick a winner here. I'm, I'm just purely going to buckle in for some Rose Bowl action and enjoy this one. Uh, to the fullest because I think it is going to be a fantastic matchup. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to take Utah's offense, which I think has been pretty good all year. I know Penn State's defense has been okay. I still don't trust Manny Diaz, obviously, coming on the back. But the, James Franklin and that defense has done a pretty good job. So, yeah, it should be a really entertaining game. I'm going to let this one just play out and, and hopefully enjoy it as a neutral spectator. But give me the Utes. Okay. All right. This is it. Last segment. As always, let's go on the punt. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, 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 All right. Time for me to close out the season with some winners for us. I think I'd probably do need to hit on all three of these for us to get anywhere near making money on the year. And even then, I'm, it's, it's, it's probably not. But let's not focus on that. Let's just focus on what we think we can do here. I think historically, what do you think? Do you think my 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 bowl numbers are any better than my in-season numbers? Probably get... yes, because they're so unpredictable. Whereas like you should be going in with some sort of intelligent framework to to use uh, during the season, which you won't have in bowl games, which means that the bowl games will be far more successful for you. Okay, there you go. There you've had it. I am good at giving picks during bowl season. So with that said, let's get straight into it. I've got three picks. Uh, whacking them in a, a little tricksy here. So they're running into each other. Uh, starting with the Orange Bowl. So I've only had a look at the the New Year's Six here uh, because that's where I really kind of did a bit of a deep dive and and 
think that I can provide some value. But that Clemson-Tennessee game, I have a lot of confidence that Clemson will win that one and win it well. So minus five and a half points, not enough to deter me there. So I'm taking Clemson minus five and a half. The next one, Alabama, six and a half against Kansas State. That that doesn't seem like enough points. I think this Alabama team is a hell of a lot better. Like, yes, Kansas State won the Big 12 and that's great. But people talk about this Alabama team like it's not good. And yeah. what they lost to Tennessee in overtime or down, like right at the end there. They lost to what was their other loss? Is it is another uh, time one, right? I, uh, no, they didn't lose to AM. Definitely no, not. No, they lost them last year. Uh give me a sec. Was it LSU? Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh again, like an overtime sort of deal. These this was a very good team. And I I, I think they're going to continue to to have a bit of anger at how they've been dis- disrespected this year and they're going to take it out in this game. So I expect them to win six and a half points. Give me that. The last one I have here is the Ohio State-Georgia game. I've taken the under, under 62 and a half. So I think the Georgia defense is going to be the key factor in this one. And I think they will uh, keep Ohio State under 24 points. Um, and in, in doing so, I don't think they're going to score more than, you know, 40 themselves. So I, I like the under in this one, 62 and a half. Uh, so those are my three picks, and I think those three in the Trixie there will be enough to generate you some New Year's cash. Wow. Feeling well, good? There you go. Get ready to lose all that money. <laughs> Save it because you're going to spend it all on New Year's. Anyway, all right, that brings us to the end of our first bowl game episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, we are part of the Vault Studio podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter at CFP Down Under. Unless you've got anything else to contribute tonight, William. Happy New Year, my friends. Happy New Year. Also, just lastly, not a college football thing. But an NFL thing, I think that I could make the Pro Bowl. Whoa. Tyler Huntley made it. (laughs) He threw for 413 yards and two interceptions this year. I think I could do that. I think I could write a bot to vote you into it. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. All right. On behalf of that guy over there, my name's Aaron. That is Will, and we will see you next time. Vote one, Aaron Kemp, 2023 Pro Bowl. Yeah, <laughs>